Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. How are my peeps doing? I know you are all doing fine. Folks, if you are on Facebook, please remember to go ahead and click that like button on Facebook. Make sure we get that performance out. Also, please go ahead, if you're on Facebook, and ring that bell. Ring that bell so that the next time we're on, you can find out, hey, guess what's on right now? Politics and right is on right now. Also, go ahead and remember, give us some stars. Facebook has this new program where they're saying, give your favorite show some stars. So please remember, give us some stars. If you are on YouTube, please begin the show. Uh, by the way, I forgot to tell you guys on, on, on Facebook, on Facebook, the first thing I'd like you to do, whatever channels you're on, Please go ahead and give us a share. Let other people know there is a program out there that is telling the truth. There is a program out there that is empowering people. There is a program out there that is trying to make a difference, not just in back, but actually going out there and making a difference. Yes, we are on today at the appropriate time, at the right time, at 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central. I, I, I'm playing with these two time zones now really get to me. I, I kind of get all messed up on the zones and all that good stuff. But anyhow, that will be fine. Time zones. Yeah, time zones, AVQ. Okay, let's go ahead and start with what Brother AVQ has brought for us today. Folks, if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up. We need it if you're on, if you're on Twitter. Remember, we're on Twitter streaming live as well. Please remember to go ahead and follow Egbert, at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R. T-O. That's the way you can get all the information when we post blogs, when we have new stuff out. We go ahead and drop a tweet out there that you can get that. So go ahead and follow at Egberto Willis. Egberto is spelled E-G-B-E-R-T-O. Again, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O, at Egberto Willis. Welcome aboard. Hey, Daniel Ledo, I see you there in the room as well. Thank you for being here, my brother. All right, Michael Rudnan says fossil fuel subsidies are proven harder to end than first thought. President Biden campaigned on ending oil and gas industry subsidies, but getting rid of them requires passing legislation, a bill eliminating the overseas drilling subsidies stalled in Congress. Three minute listens through with accelerating global warming being an existential threat. The idea that we continue fossil fuel subsidies is a cultural insanity. You know, all those people, Michael, that talk about saving the earth for our kids or when they talk about they care about our kids so much that they don't want to put the burden of taxation or overspending on our kids, yet they don't mind leaving something that is intractable climate change. They don't mind doing that to our kids. You wonder where that concern really is. Okay, second item from El Senor Rudnin. The carried interest tax loophole costs $180 billion a decade. Why don't Democrats close it? Democrats don't close it because they are the, the, the amount of Democrats that are... We don't have enough Democrats who are not corporate-owned to close it. That's the answer. Anyone remember the carried interest loophole that lets hedge fund executives and private equity managers among the wealthiest people in America pay a tax rate no higher than most Americans? Actually, it's worse because they actually get... They, I think, if I, if I recall correctly held long enough, their, their earnings are taxed at capital gains rates instead of maximal tax rates. It's a pure scam. 
They get the tax break even though they invest other people's money. There you go. Money rather than risk their own. Barack Obama promised to get rid of the loopholes. He failed so remarkably. Did Donald Trump. Guess what happened? Nada. Niet. Nothing. Got to fix that, people. We got to fix that. Last one from Michael Rudnin. Moderna vaccine, no match for Omicron, except with booster, study finds. A preliminary study made public Wednesday studied blood samples in the lab from 30 people who had gotten two Moderna shots, and it found that the antibodies in their blood are at about 50 times less effective at neutralizing the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Looks like time to talk to my doctor again about getting the booster. Again, let's, I want to repeat what Michael Rudnan found out. It says, A preliminary study made public Wednesday studied blood samples in the lab from 30 people who had gotten two Moderna shots, and it found that the antibodies in their blood are at least uh, about 50 times less effective at neutralizing the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Again, we have to increase then our dosage by a bunch. Let's get busy, people. Get vaccinated. Um... Before I get on to the interview that we have, which is a solid interview, I think you guys are going to want to see this. But I want to rant about Build Back Better. Build Back Better is necessary for all those people that are borderline poor, borderline middle class. They want, they want to continue to get that subsidy that helps out a little bit, right? It helps them. It helps them move forward. It allows them to get that extra gas in the car so that they can get a job maybe a little bit further. You know, It helps, uh, if you remember from the interview that I did a few days ago, when uh, Hal said, I won $10,000. And I said, oh, you got a windfall, Hans. What are you going to do with your $10,000? And Hal said, pay daycare. Make sure that my kid can have daycare. Because otherwise, if he doesn't have that extra money for daycare, he's, he's probably having it on insurance or whatever, or, or rather on credit cards or whatever. Put it on credit cards for the 10 years that he's going to have to have child uh, daycare. You know, I mean, if his kid is two, the daycare probably doesn't end until 12 years old when the kid can then become maybe a latchkey kid. I mean... The condition that we have from a social standpoint in this country is pathetic when it comes to the average city. But you know what? Nobody's fighting for them. By the way, I'm here in Washington, D.C. And I'm not able to go right now. But every day this, this week, every day, Reverend Barber and his posse of the, the Monday, what is it called? The Monday strike. I don't remember what they call themselves. But they're out there. Every day, a great multiracial, multicultural group begging, pass Bill back better. These are the people that you're going to help. These are the people that need that support from Bill back better right now. And now they're talking about postponing it. What does postponing it mean? That the subsidies that these people have been getting for their kids, for each kid, the tax credit that they got, disappears today. Today is the last day these families are going to qualify for those subsidies that makes their lives better. Inflation is higher because, again, we have a, well, because of those who have price and power. Are we going to continue the subsidies for these people who most need it? 
These people that work hard for so little, these people on whose back the billionaires were built on, now don't want to give them when we hear somebody like, uh, like uh, um, the guy from uh, Tesla who now does not want to give. He's like, oh, forget about it. They, we don't need Build Back Better. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's shameful. It is shameful. So look, people, what we have to do, uh, what we have to do is go ahead and get busy. Egberto, I don't know what to say about that. We'll quote an Investopedia article. Nobody wants to financially elevate, evaluate a child as they would purchase of a, or, or uh, as they would the purchase of a car or home. But by the time the child reaches the age of 18, they will have cost their parents more than some houses. Be prepared to pay a lot of money for that cute little bundle. For example, parents who have a child told uh, today will spend on average $284,570 by the time that baby turns 18, according to the Department of Agriculture. Elon Musk. Thank you for reminding me about Elon Musk. Yes. So it is shameful that we cannot pass. I mean, we had, you know, it was funny because they said, we can't pass. That's $2 trillion over 10 years. But we had no problem passing $7 trillion over 10 years. Over 10 years for the defense budget to kill people. No problem. No problem. Anyhow, before we get into all the clips that I have today, I have a very important interview. And, and I, I, hope, I hope people listen to Manuel Pastor, Dr. Manuel Pastor. And the reason why is... For us to really get the policies we want, we got to get rid of mansion, we got to get rid of cinema, and we got to get rid of a few other senators that are hiding behind cinema and mansion. What we need are people out there who are willing and ready to do the people's business. We need people out there who are willing to bite the bullet and tell the corporation, look, uh, you know, uh, Eric, even if it's $5 trillion, and I wish it were $5 trillion, because what we need is like $16 trillion for the neglect that we've had on our infrastructure, for the neglect that we've had on educating our people, for the neglect we've had on people's health care. $5 trillion is a giveaway. We need a lot more. We need to take back a lot more of that money from the parasites, the billionaires that have taken it from people, not based on their work, not based on the billionaire's work, but based on the people who they stole it from, worth. Okay? Let's be clear here. I have no bones. I mean, so you're, you think you're going to scare me by saying it costs $5 trillion when we just, over 10 years, when we just passed a $7 trillion defense budget bill? Are you kidding me? And what, what does defense buy the average American citizen? Oh, it employs a few people at a high wage, right? A few people, notice I said that? while the others who worked as contractors and all of that get peanuts? Come on now, let's get real. Anyhow, let's go ahead and listen to El Señor Manuel Pastor, and then we'll come back after this. Take care, watch this. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have the honor once again to speak with El Doctor, Dr. Manuel Pastor, is a distinguished professor of sociology and American studies and ethnicity at the University of Southern California. He currently directs the Equity Research Institute at USC. Pastor holds a 
an economics PhD from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and is the inaugural holder of the Turpajan Chair in Civil Society and Social Change at USC. And I meant Turpan. How do you say that, Dr. Turpanjian. It's an Armenian name. It's, it's an like Armenian California. name. We know how to pronounce that. Yo hablo espanol, so I don't get it. Anyway, my friend, look, uh, it's been a, it's a pleasure to have you on. I think we've had you on a couple a year or so ago during the election period. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, here's here's something that I want I, the way I want to start this conversation. You it, it, this last election made you look like a genius. That's all I need to say. Now run with it. Well, I think one of the things that I tried to point out when we talked is that people keep asking, uh, how are Latinos going to vote? As though Latinos are one single group, as though there's not variation by the country of origin, the geography where people live, and their political uh, predilections. And so one of the things I think that came out of this last election that a lot of people were surprised by was the fact that Trump actually improved his standing with Latinos. And it's quite difficult to think that someone who was promising to deport your grandmother would actually wind up doing well amongst your people. But it was predictable because the Trump uh, campaign managed to push, push the socialism button, talking about how Democrats were gonna lead us toward socialism that was frightening to Cubans, to Venezuelans, to others in Florida. They also managed to push the law and order uh, button. That was actually something that was comforting to uh, Hispanics, which is what they call themselves in Texas, particularly in the borderlands, where yes, they're worried about their undocumented cousins, but their uncle works for the border patrol and they're worried about law and order. And I think the Trump campaign was also able to press the sort of small business entrepreneurship uh, trope, which actually also appeals as well. So it's amazing that someone who was that xenophobic could wind up doing that well. But yes, it was predictable. And thank you, Egberto, for remembering that I predicted it. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, look, when, when I listened to you the last time, I just said, you know, what you're saying is making a whole lot of sense. Now, you know, Latinos, you, they like to group Latinos into one particular demographic. So they like to group everybody into a particular democratic demographic. And I think, whereas I believe in identity politics, doctor, I honestly believe in identity politics because if you don't have uh, if you if you did if you didn't have identity politics, it would say that we are all homogeneous and 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 everything is working fine. However, it has to be played exactly not played. It has to be handled exactly right for what ails that particular identity. Why don't you explain how trying to throw identity politics the wrong way with Latinos will always hurt the Democrats? I mean, look at what's happening in Congress right now with the way they're trying to pass the, uh, the, the, the Build Back Better bill with something that is unlikely to go through. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, if you will? I mean, I think the assumption is that because the Republican Party has moved so far in a nativist direction that virtually every Latino is going to wind up gravitating to the Democratic Party. But people 
are composed of many different impulses that make part of their identity. I mean, one of the things that you and I talked about during the campaign was thinking, for example, about black voters. And people were surprised that in South Carolina, black voters would go for uh, Joe Biden, whereas in California, black voters wound up going for Senator Bernie Sanders. But those are two different kind of black voters. Those South Carolina black voters, they're more religious, they're more traditional, they've seen white backlash, so they're really maybe more comfortable with a white moderate who they think won't provoke so much backlash. Black folks in California, far more part of a radical tradition. That's, you know, there's a reason why the Black Panther Party was born in California and in its multiracial and more leftist politics. So every population needs to be decomposed by its own political and cultural history. A lot of that is specifically geographic. And that is particularly so for the Latino population. You've got uh, Mexican-Americans who identify more as American than Mexican. You've got Chicanos who identify themselves. They may also be Mexican-American, but as part of a nationalist resistance to white domination. You've got Puerto Ricans that move back and forth between two locations. You've definitely got Cubans. And again, all of that varies as well by geography. And the big growth in the Latino population has also been folks from Panama, folks from mm -hmm. Venezuela, folks from other parts of Latin America. And because of that heterogeneity, the Republicans have always had a chance. They've blown it time after time. And the interesting thing is going to be whether or not they're able to make further inroads. But it's really clear that when you've got democratic politicians that are talking about the Latinx population, when the only people who use Latinx are young, hip Latinos Thank in urban areas who like, you know, go to college and stuff, that it's like you're not really going to make an inroad, you know, when people don't use that term to describe themselves. What got shown in the Bernie Sanders campaign is that if you go to communities and listen to what they're really concerned about, you can make inroads. And that's what I think the Democrats need to do. Dr. Pastor, I'll tell you something. I, 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 didn't even, I wasn't even going to bring up the Latinx part in this particular discussion, but you opened that door. I, I, I think, you know, uh, many a times, <clears throat> many of the folks tend to talk about the Democratic Party as being elitist. We know that it's no less or no more elitist than the Republican Party. In fact, if we take a look at neo neoliberalism, it is a faction of both parties, and I don't know how indistinguishable they really are. But that said, um, what is it going to take for Democrats, or do they even really care to just win 50 plus one, or to really have a governing coalition that meets the needs, not only of Latinos, I mean, the needs of Latinos equi is equivalent and, and I'm talking about fi uh, from, from a, 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 a fixed economic point of view, from the average, from, you know, I have a term I use. Whenever we unite the barrios, the ghettos, and Appalachia, we would have won. And the thing about it is those in the barrios, those in the ghettos, stereotypical, stereotypical I know, and those in Appalachia share the same needs. 
the Democrats seem unable to unite their coalition in those terms and open or cede that spot to a party who cares nothing about those particular policies. Well, the Republican Party is actively trying to divide people and practice dog whistle politics to see whether or not they can stir a nativist reaction and maintain a vote. And you're seeing this right now in the way the maps are being gerrymandered. For example, in Texas, where 95% of the increase in the population yes. has been from Latinos, but they've actually drawn uh, new maps that uh, basically zero out any district where a black person could likely win and actually reduce the number of districts where Latinos can win. So, you know, the GOP can clearly be painted as not the answer. But the problem is that the Democrats have to make sure that they are seen as the answer. And the key thing is that what do Latinos in general care about? Education, better education for their kids, better wages at the jobs that they have, a cleaner environment, because they're often the groups that are the most exposed to environmental hazards, and the opportunity to own a home, build assets, and accumulate some wealth. Those are such bread and butter issues. If you couple that with some promise and actually achieving some degree of immigration reform, you could really Black the Latino constituency into the Democratic Party in the kind of way that the Black uh, constituency in the United States has been kind of a permanent part of the Democratic Party. But as you can see, Black folks feel like they are taken for granted by the Democratic Party, and Latinos also feel like they're taken for granted by the Democratic Party. But the Democratic Party looking forward needs to understand where the population growth is coming from. And one example, in the last 20 years, the number of young whites, folks who are not Hispanic white, below the age of 18 has actually fallen by 7 million. What does that mean? That means wow. each year there are less and less new white voters. They're both aging out and passing away and you're not seeing an increase in the youth population. In that last same 20-year period, there's been 70 million, uh, 7 million new young Latinos. And each year, about 10 times as many Latinos turn 18 as Latino immigrants naturalize. So that young voting population is totally up for grabs. The Democrats could make big inroads because young voters tend to be more liberal, tend to be open to diversity, and also tend to have very bread and butter issues such as college debt and good jobs in the future. But they're alienated, they don't vote, and they're not the target of democratic outreach. This is basically wasted resources for a democratic majority. Now, uh, Dr. Um, Pastor, I am to this is a this I'm going to go into a rather dangerous area now. You haven't been doing dangerous areas already. Well, that's true. I have, but you know, you know what I mean. Um, this this is interesting because I wonder too often if this isn't by design. 
I want to give you a postulate certain things. When we, when we were working for something like the Affordable Care Act, that would have pr predominantly helped Latinos, Blacks, and many others. Uh, we had a 60 votes in, in the Senate, and we had a huge uh, overvote in, in Congress. And still, we found it difficult to make the Affordable Care Act in such a manner that it really was a people-centric type insurance policy. Now we have two, we broke the infrastructure bill, Build Back Better, and the physical infrastructure bill into two pieces, one that benefits, you know, whom most of the times, and the other that would be just that, Build Back Better, give people, give people health care, better health care, give people the ability to go ahead and get a job because their kids now have uh, child care, all these great things. And still, plus universal pre-K, which is incredibly important for low-income families, for their kids to be able to get a start at schooling and then do well when they actually turn into third grade and sixth grade math and reading tests. Magic, magic. And my point here is, doctor, is that all these policies that are easy to attain exactly what you are talking about is the difficult part that Democrats are having to pass. No, we can kill the filibuster for not making the debt go, I mean, by raising the debt limit, we can kill the bill for all these things. But for things that are particular to Latinos and others, it's a big issue. Do you really, and here's a question that I talk about being dangerous, and I really want an honest opinion here. We always talk about republicanism and white supremacy and that sort of thing, or wanting to keep power in certain hands. Could it be that this is really not necessarily a partisan thing as far as the difficulty or the ease with which one could hold on to the Latino vote because you're really seeing that that's where we're heading? Well, you know, that's a hypothesis and we can talk more about it. I think even before we get there, there's just a tremendous amount of foolishness that's going on on the part of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. To build on the example that you're talking about, you know, for the longest period of, what, what is in that bill? What is in that bill is uh, caring for the elderly, mm -hmm. extending health care, providing child care, providing universal pre-K, caring for the planet by investing in climate resilience, and a series of other things that might have led us to call that bill an investment in our caring economy. What did it get called instead? Reconciliation. Yes. What the hell is reconciliation? Yes. It's yes. a process word, right? Which suggests that uh, you have no narrative, no message to really appeal to people. And you're talking just about process issues that are interesting to folks in Congress or to political reporters rather than to people in their daily lives. So I think there's a tremendous amount of foolishness going on around the narrative and the messaging that ought to be there to really attract the support that would be possible. Even Build Back Better is kind of tough because so many communities feel like they were left behind and kept behind that when you're saying build back, you're wondering, well, maybe it'll be better, but that whole back thing wasn't working for me. So 
how do you really shift the message? And maybe that's where you're right, which is that if you were really serious about this, you would really work on the messaging, the narrative, and the political organizing to engage those folks. Let me just give you an example from California where we know the polling data pretty well. This seems to be true at a national level, but it's also true, but it's been proven by about 12 years of polling in California. When you ask Californians, do you care about climate? Do you think that the climate crisis is a very serious crisis that threatens our quality of life and our economy? About half of white Californians say yes. About 57, 58% of black and Asian Californians say yes. Two thirds of Latino Californians wow. say yes. So when you think about the way climate gets messaged uh, as a general concern or something probably mostly white environmentalists care about. In fact, Latinos care deeply about it. Why? Because the climate crisis is associated with bad air and asthma in our neighborhoods because there's a climate gap in terms of who's subject really to heat waves and wildfires and so many of these other disasters. And so what about if the Democratic Party really lifted up the climate crisis as a racial justice issue? Could it have more appeal, animate more constituencies? I think it might. So I think that's where perhaps the big failure of the Democratic Party is, is you've got these constituencies that are really ripe for the taking and then ripe for the cementing into a permanent majority and coming up short. Now, doctor, it is, it is evident that you know what you're talking about. You've already been, you've already called out what occurred in 2016 or rather 2020. But moreover, I think it is clear that, um, yeah, well, it, it is clear what you're saying. Um, and it is clear you've done your research, etc. My concern is this. Um, there are a lot of smart people that are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in messaging for a party who's collected a whole lot of money. You called it foolishness. That's what you called it. Is it foolishness or is it some sort of intentionality? Your thoughts? I really, I mean, I, 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 you, you hadn't answered that quite, uh, you know, the, the, way, the way I expected to, because I, I, I cannot sit back here, professor or doctor, and feel that these guys cannot be that ill-informed or ill-advised. Why haven't they come to see El Señor Manuel Pastor, who has studied this item? You've been all over the newspapers, New York Times, everywhere else. Why haven't they said, come on our team? Well, there's been a significant underinvestment in Latino mobilization. It's been pointed to over and over again. I think that one of the things that's true, and then we'll just jump into the intentionality piece, is that there's this tremendous business of politics where consultants make a tremendous amount of money and repeat things in ways that are supposed to make elites feel comfortable and like things are manageable. And 
one of the things we know from the research is that if you're, I mean, a couple of things I think happened in the last campaign too, is that Latinos respond more to high touch than high tech. Mm -hmm. So you need a ground game to really mobilize people to get out to vote. Uh, whatever set of reasons, just text messages and TV is not going to do it. You need door knocking that goes on. Second, uh, you need to uh, actually operate in the world of Spanish. There's a lot of Latinos who are perfectly uh, comfortable with speaking English, who nonetheless get their news from in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch Univision, Univision or Telemundo, yeah. Telemundo, a lot of the stories there are things that you and I might be interested in, the immigrant mm -hmm. experience, Latino small businesses, you know, it's just kind of stuff you're interested in that's not being covered in main, quote unquote, mainstream media. One of the problems is that the level of disinformation, not in, not in Univision and Telemundo, but the level of social media disinformation in Spanish is much higher than it is in English. Mm -hmm. And there was no concerted campaign because people who were running these big campaigns weren't listening in Spanish or in speaking Spanish to say, wow, we really need to combat the stuff that's saying that Democrats are socialist because they're not saying Democrats are socialists. They're saying, los democratas, ellos son socialistas, ellos van a tomar todo tu propiedad. Exactamente. Y todo eso, right? And what's happening is that if that's not being listened to and combated, you're going to get a lot of disinformation. So, I mean, I know enough Democratic leaders to know that there are people of goodwill who really want to do the right thing. And then there's a lot of people who are engaged in political malpractice. And I think the problem is that for the most part, saying you're frustrated with democratic political leaders and then turning to uh, Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and Kevin McCarthy, yes. it's like a really un unappealing alternative. Yes. yes. Yes, it is unappealing, completely unappealing. I, I, I can't see it. But uh, we are running uh, low on time, Dr. Pastor. So, um, you know, you've been with me before. You know the last question I'm going to ask. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I think that we need to focus on young Latino voters, that we need to, there's a great group in Texas called JOLT. And what it's realized is that mobilizing the older Hispanic voter, that's one thing, but getting young millennials who, for example, they might think of themselves as Latino, but they often think of themselves as quite mixed mm -hmm. because they might have a lot of friends who are white or black or Asian. A lot of them are much more comfortable with different kinds of sexualities. They're really interested in social media. They're very interested in the relief of college debt. They're very interested in what their career is going to look like. I think our real big task is mobilizing young voters. And I think that's worthy of a conversation the next time we get together, which is how do we make sure that this conversation about 
mobilizing the Latino vote doesn't just picture someone my age, but asks the question, how do you get the 18 to 22-year-old to participate? To Because when someone votes in a particular way in their first few elections, that locks them in generally for decades to come. So it's one thing to persuade older people to swing one direction in one election or another. I mean, the gold at the end of the rainbow is getting these younger voters to lock in to a particular perspective and a particular party. And I think that they think very differently and we need to think like they do to get them on board. We have a date, another one coming up exactly on that issue. Dr. Manuel Pastor, Professor of Sociology and American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California. It's been my honor once again to have you with us. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Como siempre, un gran placer. As always, a great pleasure. Muchísimas gracias, señor. Adios. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. Hey, I didn't have that smooth transition, but any, anyhow... So yeah, Manuel Pastor, friend, look, let me tell you something, man. Uh, the doctor has his P's and his Q's. He has the T's crossed and the I's dotted. I wish somebody from the Democratic Party would go ahead and say, Senor Pastor, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Okay, uh, before I go ahead to the messages, we are past the half, way past the half hour mark, and it's time for me to say, folks, please go ahead and go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube to become a part of our posse. If you're on YouTube, just go ahead and click the join button. Become a part of our posse. Become a part of our membership. We would love to have you. Uh, we, you are invaluable to us, but here is the link, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, you can support us at Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. I think I'm going to tape this stuff so I can just play it every time, right? There you go, politicsandright.com slash patron, politicsandright.com slash patron. That is how you can make sure that we continue to put out the truth, good information, stuff that people need to hear, not what you're going to hear on the, on the news media, etc. solely because we only owe our allegiance to you. And, and last but not leastly, politicsandright.com slash PayPal is the way you can support us via PayPal, of course. You can always shop at our store and get our hoodies, get our t-shirts, get our hats, get our socks, everything. Politicsandright.com slash store. Politicsandright.com slash store. And to get all our books, it's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbor. Hey, you're coming up to the Christmas time. Leave the discussion off the Christmas table. Just hand them the book as a gift. Say, hey, my good friend at Politics Done Right wrote this book about how to talk to your right-wing relative, friends, and neighbor. Why don't you check it out, read it? So why don't you guys buy a few of those books, support the show by doing that. At the same time, you're pointing the message to people who would get it and tell them to read it and tell them they can talk to me, send me emails, etc. directly. And guess what? You're going to get an answer. It may take a while if, it, if the volume increases too much. Uh, right now, I'm at the, at the stage of about 300 a day, 300 messages a day that I can answer. But hey, what can I say? Look, folks, um, we need your support. Politicsandright.com slash uh, books is how you get the books. Hey, guess what? When you go ahead and, uh, and get, as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom, all that crap that the, the drug company tells you about patents and all of that, it's a lie. About innovation, it's a lie. About having prices high so that innovation continues, it's a lie. The, 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 the capitalists don't innovate. We do. Remember that. 
I've talked about that in other, I got a video on that as well. All right, and don't forget all the different ways to support us. You can find at politicsandright.com slash support. Yesterday, I said Liz Cheney, we share different ideologies completely. Liz Cheney is a conservative. I am a left-wing progressive. But you know what? We're both patriots. And Liz Cheney continues to earn my kudos day in and day out. I would have lunch with, with Liz Cheney without a problem. I'll have dinner with Liz Cheney without a problem. I will even compromise with Liz Cheney because she's earned that right. She's earned that right. I want you to check this out. Then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. Did I, po did I, did I load that one up? I think I did. I oh, actually, you know, I think I did Liz Cheney yesterday. I did Liz Cheney yesterday, so I, uh, you guys can pull that one out from our, um, from our um, thing, right? The one that I really want to talk about, though, is you-know-whom, uh, Senor Stuart, Stuart Stevens. Check this out. Lincoln Project Stuart Stevens hits the nail on the head. I want you to listen to this, and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. It is prescient. I want to play this Axios interview with Congressman Jim Clyburn. Take a listen. For a party such as the Republican Party that my parents were members of, for them to turn the whole party apparatus over to one person means you're no longer a party, but you're now a cult. And that's what is happening. And it's time for the right-thinking people in this country to step away from cult worship. But Stuart, Adam Kinzinger stepped away and he's not running for re-election. Liz Cheney is a target, constant target tonight on Fox News. So what's the answer? Well, look, I, I have one disagreement with uh, the congressman there. I don't think that Donald Trump changed the party. I think Donald Trump revealed the party. These people are what they want to be. The Republican Party is very comfortable being an autocratic movement now. And that's hard for a lot of us who worked in the party to come to grips with. But I don't know any other conclusion to come to in any kind of honest intellectual sense. They are about the business of changing what we've always known as American democracy. There was a plot to end the peaceful transition of power. And Mitch McConnell surely knew about this PowerPoint. He did nothing. You can't count. It's just it's it's at a point that really is almost unimaginable for us. And to understand the point, it's essential. And that's why I hit the Republican politicians and work with the Republican person. And here's what I mean. Listen to what Stewart said. Donald Trump revealed who the party is, not that Donald Trump changed the party. The leadership of the party works for the plutocracy. The leadership of the party works for the corporate structure, but they have to mimic that or make believe that they support the average citizen. And how do they do that? They create angst among the citizenry. They create angst among different genders. They create angst among different races, etc. Because in dividing, they can conquer because they know that their policies individually cannot stand up alone. Unfortunately, they are not the sole purveyors or supporters of the 
plutocracy, of the oligarchy, of the corporatocracy. They, they have their, their, their fingers in both parties, uh, less so in, in the Democratic Party than in the Republican Party, but they have just enough to create chaos. And what we showed here is that the chaos can go overboard when they believe they have no other alternative. And January 6th was a group believing, a sect led by Donald Trump who believed they had no alternative. So they created that faction, that structure, to create what was ultimately going to be the destruction of democracy. We have to understand how these things operate. They're not what you're going to hear on the mainstream media, who caters everything they say, not solely towards you, the people, but also the plutocracy that they themselves are dependent on. Absolutely. So, and if you want to know, the only way to solve it is really to have some sort of a voter, voter, um, voter bill, right? In other words, uh, we need SB, S, I think it's SB1 or S1, not SB, S1 or N1 to take care of that. Well, check this out from Warnock. I, uh, Warnock really gave a speech that every Democrat should listen to in detail. Uh, check it out and we'll take it on the other side. Georgia Senator, newly elected Senator Rafael Warnock. I mean, he said a piece out there in, on the floor of the Senate that everybody needs to listen. And I tell you something, listen to his words. If after having the majority of the Senate, well, again, 50-50 plus the vice president, if we don't accomplish the things that we need to specifically going forward, uh, build back better as well as voter rights, in other words, making sure that we protect against voter suppression, etc., we really don't deserve to have leadership. If we allow the minority party to get their will against the will of the American people, why should the American people put us there? I want you to listen to Warnock, and then we'll take it on the other side. One that lies at the foundation of our democracy, and time and time again, because of a lack of good faith engagement, the rules of the Senate have prevented us from moving that conversation forward. We could not imagine. We could not imagine changing the rules. That is until last week, because last week we did exactly that. Be very clear. Last week, we changed the rules of the Senate to address another important issue, the economy. This is a step, a change in the Senate rules we haven't been willing to take to save our broken democracy, but one that a bipartisan majority of this chamber thought was necessary in order to keep our economy strong. We changed the rules to protect full faith and credit of the United States government. We've decided we must do it for the economy, but not for the democracy. So Madam President, I will be honest. This has been a difficult week for me as I pondered how am I going to vote on this debt ceiling question we're about to take. I feel like I'm being asked to take a road that is a point of moral dissonance for me. Because while I deeply believe that both our democracy and our economy are important, I believe that it is misplaced to change the Senate rules only for the benefit of the economy when the warning lights on our democracy are flashing at the same time. In light of the conniving methods of voter suppression we have seen enacted into law since the January 6th attack on the Capitol, I come to the floor today to share with the people of Georgia and the American people the message that I shared with my colleagues over the weekend and earlier today during our caucus meeting. I said to my Democratic colleagues over the last several days, number one, unfortunately, 
the vast majority of our Republican friends have made it clear that they have no intention of trying to work with us to address voter suppression or to protect voting rights. We cannot let our Republican friends off the hook for not being equitable governing partners. If we are serious about protecting the right to vote that's under assault right now, here is the truth. It will fall to Democrats to do it. And if Democrats alone must raise the debt ceiling, then Democrats alone must raise and repair the ceiling of our democracy. How do we in good conscience justify doing one and not the other? Some of my Democratic colleagues are saying, but what about what about bipartisanship? Isn't that important? I say, of course it is. But here's the thing we must remember. Slavery was bipartisan. Jim Crow segregation was bipartisan. The refusal of women's suffrage was bipartisan. The denial of the basic dignity of members of the LGBTQ community has long been bipartisan. The three-fifths compromise was the creation of a putative national unity at the expense of black people's basic humanity. So when colleagues in this chamber talk to me about bipartisanship, which I believe in, I just have to ask at whose expense? Who is being asked to foot the bill for this bipartisanship? And is liberty itself the cost? I submit that that's a price too high and a bridge too far. To my Democratic colleagues, I say while it is deeply unfortunate, it is more than apparent that it has been left to us to handle alone the task of safeguarding our democracy. The judgment of history is upon us. Is that prescient or not? Yes, we would love to have bipartisanship, but bipartisanship is not really the answer. And as he points out, remember, slavery was bipartisanship was bipartisan. Remember, anti-woman legislation was bipartisan. Remember, the three-fifths compromise wasn't bipartisan. It was the inception of the country. So there is no inherent virtue in having bipartisanship when said virtue creates evil. So let's again, let's again to all our brothers and sisters that are Democrats or for any a, a Republican that wants to join in. Do the right thing. Kill the filibuster and get the job of the American people done. We get the work of the American people done. Time to salute my peeps again. Bridge MCP says, very late, but hello. Uh, uh, let's see who else we got. Eric Hayes say, no, you don't want bipartisanship, not at all. And I think that goes all around. Sadly, that's not true at all. Let's see. Mike Cisak, welcome aboard. Mike Cisak says, the problem he is mentioning is that it isn't a simple majority vote in the Senate. Exactly. But it should be. I mean, right now, even with a 50-50 Senate, we control much more people, a much larger population than those little, those little states that get the same amount of uh, senators. It is not fair. It is not the democracy. It's time to get that fixed. It's time to get the hell out of this ridiculous form of an electoral college that was only there to control power, to have power being controlled by a select few. All right, let's see. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. Barbara Wiltz, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, the point here, Mr. Hayes, is uh, you said, how do I know what Americans want? They're polled, and I study polls. And if you read my blogs and not just listen to words, but when I say things, it's because they're researched. So not only have they been researched scientifically, I've done my own scientific research. You've seen me in, Star in the days that I lived in Starbucks. I've been talking to mostly conservatives, and it's interesting how much they support the types of policies that we want 
until they realize, oh, you know, that's a progressive policy. Oh, I don't like it then. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. If I miss anybody, let me know. Tom C, hermano mío, ¿cómo estás? ¿Cómo estás? Tom C, Tomás C. AVQ agreed. Let's see, Tom C must have something prescient to say where Michael Rudd... The Democrats are the majority party based on popular vote. Gerrymandering, voter suppression, campaign financing, and electoral college, the Senate, the filibuster are keeping the GOP in power. Exactly. They are keeping themselves in power undemocratically. Everybody has to understand that. Most Americans are progressive. Most Americans vote democratic. The Constitution has a distinct flaw. And the flaw in the Constitution is that it makes, it ensures we are not a true representative democracy. Because some people's voice is somebody in Timbuktu, Montana, has a much bigger voice in our Senate than somebody in California. Okay? Californians are, are the most popular state, they get two senators. Montana is one of the least popular states. They get two senators. How is that fair? And then those two senators, because they're conservative, have an overwhelming power over the types of policies we get in this country. That is not a democracy. That's evil. Okay, let's see. Sorry, I live in California, and I'm writing my senators and representatives about removing the filibuster. You go, Peggy. We have to keep the pressure on. Lewis Johnson, welcome aboard. Bipartisan at whose expense? That is a powerful question. You know, Roberto Lewis, mi hermano, ¿cómo estás? Saludos, mi gente. Politics done right. Bruce Pollard, did you talk about the rep from Pili making a fool of himself on the floor while complaining about the Muslim abuse issue? You know, there are certain, certain things, Bruce, that I simply don't even bother with. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't even see that one, Bruce. Hey, Bruce, how are you feeling? Look, when you make your first comment, Bruce, the PDR posse wants to know how you're feeling. So please, brother, second comment, go ahead and let us know how you're feeling, brother. We are all concerned. I want to make sure that you're recovering very well. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Biden, how do, you want your, how do you want your Harris approval to go? <laughs> hey, that's a difficult one, E2247. And I don't think I saluted you, E2247. Thank you for being here, Senor E2247. Bruce Pollard says, feeling good today. Well, that makes us all feel good. Not only that, for all of us who at some point in time may either be carriers of the damn virus, whether asymptomatically or not, it's good to know that all is going fine with you, sir. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Para ver, para ver, para ver, quien más. Look, uh, the, the, there's a whole bunch of messages. So what I'd like you to do is, if, if, if you have a present message that I somehow didn't get to, but you say, Egberto, you got two minutes to answer my question, throw it in there again and I'll, t I'll tackle it real quick, as quick as I can. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I'm going up to the same. Mike Cisak, thank you for being here. Who am I missing? Who else am I missing? Who else am I missing? Uh, para ver. Hey, guys, I got to work on, you know, while I'm here in D.C., I'm going to work and see if I can somehow get the proper connections that we can start back taking calls itself. No worries, Egberto. You'll just have to reply to comments after the show. Well, thank you for telling me that, Michael Rudnin. I can always count on you to make me feel better and not so guilty when I don't get to all the comments. You're a good man. Okay, we have 
one minute to go. Anybody has anything real quick? Oh, Eric has something. Egberto, have to ask you, are you okay with Hidalgo and Garcia and Ellis are doing with the flood money? You know, it's funny, right? Because um, I don't know. Let me be very frank with you. I'm Eric Hayes. I haven't read up in detail the totality of what's going on in our Harris County district. But I tell you one thing that I really like. For once, the little guy, you know, all the rich people live on the outskirts. Come on, you live in Kingwood. Well, we're not rich, but you know what I'm talking about. Left the, the left, you know, we, we're, hey, poor man, poor, poor. But anyhow, we left the, the, the um, what, what, what am I saying? Left the core of, of, of Harris County, right? And if you take a look at, hey, AVQ, thank you for having been here, brother. If you take a look at construction and all of that, it always seems that the suburbs get so much money for those canals to draw the water out and they get all this money for, you know, the lake, the lake, after the big flood, the lake got new gates and all of that. And I always ask the question, right? We pay to put more gates on the locks so that they could dump water out quicker so that Kingwood doesn't get flood. What happened to the trailer parks right down that river? We throw the water on them, right? I want you guys to understand these things, man. Uh, and for those of you who are not in this Texas area, what happens is the suburbs are outside. The, the lake, there's Lake Houston, and there are a lot of suburbs that, are, that surround Lake Houston, etc. When we had this massive flood, the lake overflew its bounds, okay? And the, the, the dam couldn't let the water out quick enough, plus the dam upriver in Conroe dumped a whole bunch on us as well. All right? Good. So what, what they want to do is they would like to make sure that we don't flood. But they forget one important thing is that for us not to flood, it means we got to get rid of the water quickly, which means we're going to flood downstream to where all those people in trailer parks and all these other people live. So I look and I said, wow, for once, the people downriver get a break. And then those people that are upriver say, hey, what about us? What about us? You've always gotten it. You know, you want more? Most of the people that live upriver are people that have more means but don't want to pay more taxes. Most of the people downriver are people with less means and pay recessive taxes. They can't afford anymore, right? These people up top, they don't want to pay more taxes, but they want those services. They want those gates on the dam. They want all these wonderful services. I do. Look, I live in Kingwood. I would love to see those gates built to dump water, but not at the expense of my brothers and sisters downriver. But you see, we don't think like that. We haven't learned to think civically with, uh, with, with, with the right intent. But anyhow, let's go ahead and I got to close the show down. We can talk about this another day, Eric. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this. Baby, I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where 
uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.